Thrive. Welcome to Thrive Church Online. I'm Christine and I'm so excited to be your online host today. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome to Thrive and we're so glad that you're joining us this morning. I encourage you to text me to 604-285-5770 or visit mythrive.info to connect with us and receive your very own Thrive stainless steel water bottle. Here at Thrive, we love to keep everyone engaged. In fact, we have created specific content for children ages 3 to 12. Parents, head to MyThrive.info and click Thrive Kids Online to get them set up with our online activities and Zoom classes from 10.45 to 11.15 a.m. This is a great way for children to be engaged with each other and in fun biblical content that's specifically made for them while we dive into the big question of how to keep hope alive through our brand new message series called Waiting for Sunrise. I know you can't wait for the message today, but before we jump to ahead, let's start off by engaging with one another. Turn the person next to you or type in chat room who your favorite superhero is. Some examples would be Superman, Wonder Woman, Iron Man, Black Panther, Thor, you get the idea. Type in the chat room or tell the person next to you your answer now. I didn't even get to share with you my favorite superhero. My favorite superhero is Jesus because he keeps my hope alive. Now, today we have the privilege of having Pastor JB here to share with us God's word. We have no time to waste, so let's go straight into our message. Hello everybody and welcome to Thrive Church Online. My name is JB, I'm one of the pastors here at Thrive and I'm so thrilled to welcome you to an amazing Sunday here at Thrive Church Online. If this is your first time here, you're what we call our VIP and we especially wanna welcome you. In fact, just a way to say thank you so much for joining us today. If you wanna go to mythrive.info and press the button that says new to Thrive, we've got a very special gift waiting just for you. We would love to send mail straight to your door, your very own Thrive Church stainless steel water bottle. Just a small way to say thanks so much for joining us today. Can we give all of our VIPs a big hand? Let's place together right now. Whether you were invited by a friend or you stumbled upon us online, we are so glad that you're here. In fact, we've got a saying here at Thrive, which is that welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are. And so with that in mind, would you welcome one another to church today? Would you find someone in your chat room and welcome everyone in that chat room? Would you turn to the person next to you if you're sitting beside someone, give them a high five, a handshake, a, a hug, an air version of the same, whatever you need to do, would you welcome one another to church today? 
It is so good to have you here. A huge welcome to each and every one of you to church today. We have some exciting things happening, not just at this service, but right after the service. Right after the service, we have something called Meet the Pastors on Zoom. And what we're doing is after each of our services today, uh, we're going to meet on Zoom with those of you who are new to Thrive, especially if, if you're new to Thrive, you just joined us in the most recent weeks or months, I've never met before, we would love to meet you. Meet the Pastors on Zoom is happening right after each of our services. You can go to mythrive.info, click the link or click the button that says meet the pastors on Zoom. And we'd love to see you there later on today. Would you turn your name and say, I can't wait to meet the pastors. I can't wait to meet you guys. Pastor Shard is going to be there. Some other Thrivers are going to be there. An awesome opportunity for you to meet other Thrivers. Uh, you'll get to know other people in our church community. A chance for you to ask any questions that you may have. We would love to see you there. Another thing that's happening next week, super excited for Baptism Weekend. Baptism Weekend is happening April 24, April 25. If you're wondering what baptism is, baptism is a very simple thing we do where a person says, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. And, and if that's you, if you have recently made that decision to receive Jesus Christ into your life, you recently said yes to Jesus, maybe at the end of one of our services at Easter, or even recently, we want to encourage you to be part of Baptism Weekend. Baptism is not a graduation showing, look how good I am. I've got no more questions. I've read the Bible backwards and forwards. It's about you saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. If that's you, then you can get baptized. And if you want more information on baptism, you can go to my thought info, press the baptism button, and it'll give you hopefully all the information you need on what baptism is, how we go about doing it in a safe, secure way so that you can have confidence that you are going to be doing it safely with us uh, when we do baptism weekend next week. And so I encourage you to sign up for baptism as well. Turn your neighbor and say, got to get baptized. Got to get baptized. Got to get baptized. It's going to be an amazing weekend next weekend. But next weekend is not the only thing that's amazing. Today, get ready for something amazing as well. Welcome to Thrive Church Online. Did you guys bring your Bibles today? If you could grab your Bibles right now, this is my Bible. Maybe it's just a paper Bible like mine. Maybe yours is a device you download the Bible into. Either way is cool. If you could just hold up your Bible like so. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. For fun, you can just point to the Bible of someone near you, even my own. And this is just a fun way for us to get our hearts ready for the message together. And so we just hold up your Bible like so or point to the Bible near you. And let's make this proclamation together in faith together right now. We're going to say, this is my Bible. It is God's word. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I open up my heart so that God's word can come in and change my life, and I will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You guys are an amazing church. It's always such a joy and an honor for me to bring the message to all of you. But before I do that, let me just say this, is that if you are new to church, if you're new to the Bible, new to Christianity, you're coming in from another background or no background at all, we are so especially thrilled that you are here. We hope you find that Thrive Church is a safe place for you, a place that you can call home, a place where you can find community, a place where you can find encouragement and some hope to help you as you start a brand new week. If we can answer any questions that you have, if we can pray for you in any way, you can always email us at info at thrivechurch.ca. A huge welcome to each and every one of you. Today, we are continuing a series that we just started last week. So excited for this series. This series is called Waiting for Sunrise. 
And the reason why we call it waiting for sunrise is because maybe right now you're in a period of waiting yourself right now. We're all waiting for COVID numbers to go down. We're all waiting for coronavirus to be a thing of the past. We're all waiting for life to go back to normal or as normal as it can be. But maybe you're waiting in other ways right now. You're waiting for some news and you're still waiting. Maybe you're waiting for a relationship or a situation in your life to turn around. You're waiting for a breakthrough of some sort. If that's you, how do you keep your hope alive in your time of waiting? We're talking about that in this series called Waiting for Sunrise. Sunrise. And very specifically, we are going through the book of Isaiah. Everyone say Isaiah. Isaiah is such a powerful and important book in the Bible. And not only are we going to learn about how to keep your hope alive in the time of waiting, but we're learning some very powerful lessons about who God is. And we are so glad you're here to join us for this series called Waiting for Sunrise, How to Keep Your Hope Alive through the book of Isaiah. By the way, we're not just studying the book of Isaiah every Sunday here at Thrive Church Online these days, but we're also studying the book of Isaiah every day. And if you wanna get in on that, you can by subscribing to Pastor JB's Game Time Sharings. And what we do is every morning, we're gonna send you a passage from the book of Isaiah that you can read. And I'm also gonna give you some thoughts about here's what I'm learning in case you're not really sure what to learn from this passage. Here's what I'm learning from this passage and hopefully it encourages you and helps you start the day really well. And so we encourage you to sign up for Pastor JB's game time sharings as as, as well. You can also pick up your own game booklet with the passages in there. You can do a digital copy or you can come to our church office and get a game booklet yourself as we look at the book of Isaiah together. Are you guys ready for episode two of Waiting for Sunrise? Are you guys ready? Let's get into it right now. Today, we're looking at Isaiah chapter six. And I wanna encourage you as we go through the series to have your Bibles open before you, to have the passage open for you. Don't just rely on what's on the screen, but have your Bible in front of you as well. Have a pen ready to highlight something because I think you can get that much more from this message when you do so. Let's listen to God's word with a teachable heart today. Let's all read Isaiah chapter six. I'm gonna start with verse one together. Big thank you to our media team for setting up this for us. Let's Isaiah chapter six, verse one, read it with me right now. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the chain of his robe filled the temple. See what's going on. There is a guy called King Uzziah. He is the king of Judah. He has been reigning over Judah for 52 years, a very long and prosperous reign. But here's the thing, as long as his reign was, during the second half of Uzziah's reign, Uzziah contracted leprosy. And leprosy back then was especially a very serious, life-threatening disease. Leprosy still exists today in developing countries. And the fact is that Uzziah had leprosy. And because Uzziah had leprosy, he couldn't go into the temple to worship God anymore. Because Isaiah, Uzziah had leprosy, he couldn't even stay in his own palace and sit on his throne anymore. And because of his leprosy, and many of you know this well because of the kind of season we're in right now, he had to quarantine. He had to quarantine in his own separate house, live all by himself, away from the temple, away from the throne. And and so although Uzziah died in about maybe 739 BC, for years, many people in Judah were already used to not seeing Uzziah anymore. Uzziah for years had been out of the public spotlight because of his leprosy. And his son Jotham was really the one who was managing the kingdom for him. But Uzziah was still the king, just a very absent king. Now imagine that you are not Uzziah, but you are Isaiah the prophet. 
And Isaiah is used to having a king who's not there. He's not around. He's not in the temple. He's not on the throne. He's somewhere quarantined by himself. He's weak. He's sick. He's nearing death. He can't enter the, enter the temple of God to worship. He can't go on his own throne and sit there to rule. He is out there somewhere, but he's absent. And then all of a sudden, say you're Isaiah, and you now see this vision. And you see this vision that Isaiah chapter six describes where you see a king who is seated on the throne, who is inside the temple. And in fact, the train of his royal robe fills the temple so much that his presence, the presence of this king cannot be denied. This king is not Uzziah. This king is the Lord. And this king is not dead or sick or dying, but this king, Isaiah sees, is high and exalted. This king is not sickly and weak, but this king is, is alive and well. It's as if God was communicating something to Isaiah in this vision, which is that your king Uzziah may be gone, but I'm still here. Your king may be dead, but there's another king who's still alive. You might think you're all alone, but I've been here all along. And see, what's the lesson here? Is that in life, the fact is you and I are going to lose some very important people to us. That's just a fact of life. One day we will lose people who are very important to us. But though some important people in your life will go away, God remains and God still reigns. And see, you know, earlier this past year, we were celebrating my dad's birthday. It was a milestone birthday for him. And it's funny how COVID really changes the way we do celebrations these days. Instead of having a big party with lots of people, we couldn't do any of that. And so what my sister and I decided to do is we decided to do a video message for him where we got different people from the family, different people among his friends and his colleagues to basically share a video message to him. And uh, it's just kind of funny how COVID's really changed the way that we, we celebrate. But the, the most touching moment of this video is when my mom appears on the screen. And she says this, is she says to my dad, she says, the years may bring changes as years are bound to do but one thing always stays the same, and that's my love for you. And you know, that for me was really touching. And for me, it's also a reminder of one of the big messages of the book of Isaiah, is that you will lose some important people in life. That's just bound to happen. Through all the changes that happen in your life, God remains the same and God still reigns and he will never leave you. His love will see you through. God is the one mountain that will not be removed. If you believe that, give God a big hand, a big shout, and let's play together right now. Amen. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, God is still here. God is still here. That's the first lesson we can learn from the book of Isaiah. Verse number two, let's look at verse two. What it says, it says, above him, that's the Lord. The Lord, he's seated on this throne. Above him were seraphs. What are seraphs? Seraphs are angels. And in fact, this is the only place in the Bible that mentions seraphs. Obviously, you know, angels appear in other places in the Bible. There's like the cherubim, there's the seraphs. What's the difference between those two? We're not gonna get into that right now. But above him are the seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they cover their face. With two wings, they cover their feet. With two, they are flying. Now, if you've seen angels before, even just pictures of angels or you know, illustrations of angels, you know that angels are often seen or shown with wings, and obviously that's for flying. But here you're going to see that they've got wings, not just for flying, they've got wings for covering their face and their feet. Why is that? 
Well, here's a little hint as to why that is. Verse three, look at it. What, what does it say? It says, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We're gonna get to that in just a bit, but check, check out what they say next. They say the whole earth is full of his glory. What does that mean? The whole earth is full of his glory. Later on this week in Pastor JB's game time sharings, we're gonna be looking more and unpacking what that actually means. So we're not gonna go into all right now, but what, what does it mean just a little bit on, on the, well, the whole earth is full of his glory? It's not saying that God you know, condones and approves of everything that happens in this world, all the wickedness, all the suffering, all the evil, he's okay with all, no, that's, that's not what it's saying. But let me just say this. When you consider what could have caused this universe to come to being, from nothing all of a sudden to something. When you consider how this universe of ours is incredibly able to sustain life the way that it does, the best explanation, the most reasonable explanation for all of this is not that it all happened by chance or that it was some random accident, but is that there is a God and that God is responsible for it. And see, Professor Roger Penrose, he was a famous British mathematician. He once tried to calculate the probability that a universe could sustain life and all happen just by accident. That we could have a life-sustaining universe like the one we have today, and that it could all just happen by random occurrence, by accident. And he calculated all these different factors, and he calculated it, and, and he came up with this result, which is that he calculated the chances that a universe like ours that sustains life could somehow miraculously or randomly happen by chance was one in 10 to the power of 10 to the power of 123. If you're wondering what that looks like in terms of how small of a chance that is, that is your, the chances, the percentage that that could happen, the probability of that happening is 0.0000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
Why, why, why is it that it's, it's holy, holy, holy? Let me tell you why. It's to emphasize how incomparably holy God is, that he is so holy, there aren't enough words to describe how holy he is. It's that there's not enough words to describe the depth and the breadth and the quantity and the quality of God's holiness that all you can do is just say it over and over. He is so holy, holy, holy. It's kind of when you see a meal and you love it so much, oh man, I, like the, I really like this meal, I love, love, love this meal. It's because you just don't have words to describe how holy he is. And so you just keep on repeating it until it makes sense to people to say, oh man, that means that there's nothing that can, can compare to it. That's the holiness of God. And what does it mean to be holy? Well, the, the, the word in Hebrew for holy is, is kadosh. And kadosh means to be set apart to be different from anything and everything else. And when you understand it in the context of Isaiah 6, what holy, holy, holy means is that God is completely pure. He is completely just. He is completely morally perfect, such that he is absolutely without any fault at all. He has no sin in him. There isn't a hint of wickedness or deceit or evil in his nature at all all. That is what it means when it says God is holy, holy, holy. And see, this holiness is not some weak or naive kind of purity. Maybe you grew up in class and there was someone who was especially holy and they were like this goody, goody two-shoe person, but they're kind of naive, not really street smart. See, that's not the holiness of God. The holiness of God is not naive and weak. The holiness of God comes with it a power. It comes with it even a wrath, such that anything that doesn't share in its nature of holiness will be extinguished right there and then. That is the holiness of God, such that anything with any evil, any deceit, any sin cannot stand even for a second in the presence of this God. You know, people over the centuries, they've tried to illustrate how holy God appears in Isaiah chapter six. And they do that through art, paintings, drawings, music, you know, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You know, you know these songs, famous songs. But to me, if I had to give you an illustration for how holy God is. The best illustration I think I can give you is the sun. See, we stand approximately 93 million miles away from the sun. That's the equivalent of going around the circumference of the earth over 3,700 times. That's the distance between us and the sun. We stand super far away from the sun. And because we stand so far away from the sun, sometimes it's harder for us to imagine what the sun is like up close, is that we, of course, feel the effects of the sun. We benefit from the sun. But because we are so far away from the sun and because our experience is so distant from the sun, it's easy to forget how powerful the sun really is. And it's easy to have almost a distorted view of what the sun is like. That's why when kids, little kids draw the sun or when young parents of young kids will draw the sun, what do they usually draw? They'll draw usually something like this, right? You know, little cute circle, yellow circle with a smiley face, maybe sunglasses, looking very cute, looking very harmless, looking very playful, very approachable, you know, hang, just hanging out with the kids while they play on the swing. That's our idea of the sun. It's like, you are my sunshine, my only sunshine. And, and, and here's the thing. If you want a real picture of what the sun is like up close, what you need is a telescope, one that NASA has. And you will get pictures not like this, but like this. You're going to get pictures 
which don't show this cute, harmless, approachable son. What are you gonna get? You're gonna get pictures of a ferocious, massive, not approachable son. The fact is you get close to this son, it will kill you. You know, astronomers even say that if you get into a space shuttle and you wrap that space shuttle entirely in carbon heat shields, such that it can withstand crazy amounts of heat, and you took that space shuttle and you got started going toward the sun, you could, if you could somehow survive the crazy radiation, the heat stroke, the dehydration caused by getting closer and closer to the sun, the fact is you could not get within even one million miles of the sun before you and the spaceship around you completely burns up, kind of like a, a failed roasted marshmallow that kind of just falls into the fire. That's what you and I would be if we tried to approach the sun. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, if you have a kid who says, hey, daddy, can you draw me the sun? And then you stop, you stop drawing the cute one. You get a lighter. You say, let me light up the paper for you. This is what the sun is like. I'm not saying don't scare your kid this way. But what I'm saying is this. God's holiness is the same way. See, because we stand so far away from God's holiness, we often forget just how powerful and dangerous God's holiness really is. Is that we think of God as this cute, harmless, warm, approachable buddy who's just smiling up in heaven, hanging out, you know, and he's here to bless our family. He's here to bless our food. He's here to keep us warm. And that's all we think about God. But if you really want a picture of the holiness of God, you need a telescope. And that telescope is Isaiah chapter six, what we're looking at right now. And see, let me tell you this. The holiness of God is like the sun. You try to get close to God without the necessary protection and it will burn you up. It will kill you. You couldn't get within a million miles of the holiness of God without disintegrating and melting in his presence because that is how holy God is. And that's why in the Old Testament, people associated seeing God with dying. Whenever you know, people in the Old Testament saw an angel of God, they'll be, oh my goodness, this is the last day of my life. It's because they thought, that's how holy God is. That's how sinful I am. I'm dead, right? And, and other, that's why in the Old Testament, in the temple, you know, it's not that people could all come to the temple and, and get into the presence of God. In fact, the presence of God, which was represented by the ark, this golden box, was covered by two curtains, such that only the great high priest could come into the most holy temple, and that only once a year. Everyone else couldn't even see the most holy place. Everyone else didn't have access to the presence of God because God was seen as so incredibly holy and to see God meant to die. That's why the Bible says in the New Testament, the wages of sin is death. Is that because of our sin, because we're not holy. We're not holy. We're not perfect like God is. We're not completely pure, completely morally just. We, we, we have evil. We've got sin. We've got all that stuff. Because of that, we deserve to be separated from God forever to have nothing to do with God. If we even tried, we just disintegrate in his presence. And so how can you approach God at all? Let me get to that in a bit, but let me just say this right now. If you think, oh, I'm a good person, and when I die and I stand before God, I'm just gonna give God my resume and show him how many people I helped or how a good of a person that I was. And you think that you're gonna get into heaven that way. Let me tell you this. You have not just underestimated is the wrong word. You have not just underestimated. You have, you have misunderstood and completely missed how holy God is. 
is that when God sees himself and he sees you, he doesn't see you on this balance of, were you 51% good? Were you good most of the time? Did you, were you 75% or, or 66% or 99% good most of the time? No, that's not God's standard. God's standard is not, oh, were you better than Hitler? Were you better than Nasser? Were you better than this guy? No, he's not gonna grade you on that scale. You know what standard he grades you on? Is that he's gonna ask you, are you perfect like I am? Are you holy like I am? And if you ha- can't be holy like he is, then guess what? You're not going to where God is. That's God's standard. And so the most foolish gamble that people often make is to think, I'm gonna get to heaven just by being a good person. I'm gonna get to heaven just by showing God my resume. If you do that, you are gonna be up for the biggest surprise of your life and of your eternity because God is holy. Would you turn to him and say, God is holy. And see, that's why when Isaiah sees how holy God is, when Isaiah meets God in this vision, and he sees God as holy, holy, holy. What is his response? His response is not like, yay, pat himself on the back. No, look at verse four. Look at verse, what is verse four? It says, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds of the temple shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Keep on going, verse five. It says, woe to me. Woe to me. What does woe mean? That's like, woe? No, woe means it's a curse word. It's actually a curse. It's a, it's a word of saying, I'm ruined. I'm dead. Woe to me. I am cursed. That's what he's doing. Is that, is, is he's basically proclaiming himself as cursed. He's saying, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. What's going on? He's saying that I, because I've seen God, I'm about to die. And he's scared. And see, and he says, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See what's going on. One of the lessons here we need to learn is this. Before we can see ourselves for who we are, we need to see God for who he is. Until you see God for who he is, you're not going to have the right view of who you and I are. Isaiah, he's a prophet and he sees this and he's like, oh my goodness, I'm ruined. Woe to me. I'm dead. I've got no chance in the presence of this holy God. And see, the first thing that hit Isaiah was how holy God is how sinful he and we are. And, and you know, it, it just goes to show, you know, the world's view of human beings is usually this. Humans are so good. They're normally just so good. Other than Hitler, other than, you know, Nasser, other than some other people, like, but humans are just so good. They're good people. They deserve to be happy. You deserve this. You deserve that. You deserve to be in heaven. You deserve, that's the, that's the world's view. And it's actually a lie. The Bible's view of human beings is this. Humans, are they made in the image of God? Yes, they are. Are they loved by God? Yes, they are. But are humans also depraved and wicked and sinful and broken and far from holy? Yes, they are. That's why we need a savior. That's why we need Jesus. And the more you realize that, the closer you are to understanding how holy God is, how great God's mercy is, and why Jesus is so important. And so let's go to the next part because this is so important. Verse six says this. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And then verse seven, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So what's going on? Isaiah, he sees this vision of this holy God going, oh my goodness, I'm ruined. Woe to me, woe to me. And he thinks he's gonna die. 
And what happens is a seraph, one of those angels, takes some tongs, like from a science lab. He takes these tongs and he grabs a live coal from the altar. This altar is an altar of sacrifice. There's fire. And he's grabbing a live coal from the altar. And the seraph takes the tongs, he takes the coal, he flies over to where Isaiah is and he touches Isaiah's lips with it. And maybe you're here today and you can relate to Isaiah. Isaiah says, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips. Maybe you're a person with unclean lips right now. So when you look at the way you use your words, a lot of stuff that comes out that you know probably shouldn't come out. Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Is that what we say is often a reflection of our heart. And oftentimes when we can't control our tongue, it's a reflection of we can't really control much of our life. And, 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 and Isaiah feels it. He feels like he's ruined. He knows just how, how careless he's been with his words, how careless he's been with his heart, how not holy he's been. And yet the mercy of God appears. The seraph takes this live coal, touches him, his lips with that coal. And what does he say? He says, see, your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. And see, notice this. Isaiah did nothing to cancel out his own sins. He didn't do a single thing. All he did was realize how much of a sinner he was and how much mercy he needed from God. That's all he did. Rather, it was God who did all the work. One of God's seraphs takes that live coal in his hands, touches his lips, and that's when Isaiah is clean. Not when Isaiah presents his resume. Not when Isaiah says, look how good I am. God, forgive me of my sins. No, it's when God himself takes the initiative and he touches Isaiah's lips and makes him clean. What's the lesson here? The lesson is this, you can't cancel out your own sins. Only God can. Only God can cancel out your sins. That's why, you know, in Jesus' time, people would be so shocked by some of the things that Jesus said. And probably the most shocking thing that Jesus would say is when he'd go up to people who'd come to him and he would say, your sins are forgiven. And people are like, what? Like, like the critics around me, what? Only God can forgive sins. Like, what are you doing saying that God can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, yeah, 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 that's right. Your sins are forgiven. And see, see what, what's going on? The good news that we see in Isaiah 6, it's already foreshadowed, is that you can't take away your sins, but God can. And God sent Jesus Christ to pay for each and every one of our sins. Notice what happened. Long before Isaiah even knew how sinful he was, God had already placed a coal on the altar to be the provision for Isaiah's sin. And the moment Isaiah realizes how sinful he is and how he needs God's mercy, that's when God brings that live coal to Isaiah, touches his heart, touches his life, touches his lips. And when it touches him, it changes him. He is made clean. And see, in the same way, long before you even knew you needed a savior, long before you even knew you were a sinner, God had already placed someone on the altar of sacrifice. His name is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus touches your life, when you receive Jesus's touch, what happens? Your sin is atoned for and your guilt is taken away. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Amen. Jesus is like the live coal in the hand of that seraph. Is that when you realize your sinfulness and you realize your need for God's mercy, Jesus comes and he touches your life. He takes away your sins and declares you holy in the sight of God.
And see, Isaiah did nothing to cancel out his own sins. It was God who did all the work. Likewise, when we don't rely on what we do and how good we are to cancel our own sins, but we trust in the finished work that Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, how he died on the cross for our sins and how he rose again from the grave, what happens? God declares, you are forgiven of your sins. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And now guess what? You are actually holy in my sight again. Oh, come on, give God a big hand a big shout in this place right now. That's why Ephesians chapter two in the New Testament says, it is by grace, that is God's undeserved kindness. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by your works so that no one can boast. It is the gift of God. Now, I hope you can understand from all we're saying today is that it is hard to understand the love of God expressed through Jesus Christ without first understanding God's holiness. Because if God wasn't holy, if God didn't care about sin, if it didn't matter to God whether you did right or wrong, then why do we need a cross? Why do we need anyone to die for our sins? Why do we need Jesus of all people, the holiest of all, to die for our sins if God didn't care about holiness? The fact is God cares about holiness because God himself is holy, holy, holy. And see, the cross is not just evidence of God's amazing, unconditional love for me. It is. But the cross is also something else. It is evidence of the holiness of God. It shows us that it took the highest price possible for you and me to be forgiven. It didn't just take your death or my death. That wouldn't be good enough because we're sinners. It took someone blameless to die, to, 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 to extinguish God's wrath toward our sin. It took Jesus Christ dying on the cross, the only one who lived a perfect life. He had to die so that we could be declared forgiven and holy in God's sight. And so the cross is not just evidence of God's love. The cross is evidence of God's holiness. In fact, the cross is the intersection where God's holiness and God's love meet together. That's the cross. And see, from this, we see that Jesus changes everything. Is that like that live coal, before we would just burn up in the presence of God. But now because of Jesus, we have a shield around us such that we can enter into God's presence, get close to God and actually enjoy his presence. Before we had no standing before God, but now we are forgiven of our sins. We are declared holy in his sight. We're called children of God. We're even called priests in God's kingdom. Before the curtain separated us from having anything to do with God, but because of Jesus Christ, the curtain is torn. And now Jesus is the reason why we can approach this holy God, not with fear, but with confidence. Amen. Have you received this amazing gift of God's grace expressed through Jesus Christ. We're gonna give you an opportunity to do that in just a little bit, but let's continue on with verse eight. What does it say? Are you learning something in this place today? I hope you are. Verse eight says this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. If you have your Bibles in front of you, would you underline those words? Here am I, send me. And you know, scholars tend to be a little divided on what's happening here. Some scholars think that Isaiah 6 is describing the moment when Isaiah first senses his call to be a prophet of God. The first time God, that, 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 that God speaks to Isaiah or the first time that, God, that Isaiah senses God saying, I want you to be a prophet for the people of Judah. And 
you know, I, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of good argument for that. In fact, I think I tend toward that. The fact is that you might, well, what happened in Isaiah one to five, what's going on there? Remember that Isaiah is not necessarily a chronological ordered book. It's not kind of like from the beginning to the end, it's all time ordered that way. It's not necessarily that some people think it's collections of different teachings and writings that Isaiah, you know, kind of just collated together. But, but here's the thing, other people, they think, well, you know, maybe by this time, Isaiah was already a prophet. And, and this Isaiah 6 scene is basically God recommissioning and repurposing Isaiah's mission. Let, let, let me tell you, whatever way you want to look at it, what is clear is this. After saving Isaiah from his sins, God sends Isaiah on his mission. And see, what's the lesson here? God doesn't just want to save you from your sins and you're done. God wants to send you on his mission. You are saved to serve God. That's the lesson here. See, if all God wanted to do was to save you from your sins and bring you to heaven, why is it that on the day that you receive Jesus or on the day you get baptized, why is it that at that very moment, you just don't, you just don't go to heaven right away? Why is it that you know, when, when, I, when we baptize, you go, okay, when I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, here we go. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay, see you later. See you in heaven, Evie. Yeah, see you, buddy. We'll see you soon. Why is it that never happens? Why is it? Why is it instead that after you receive Jesus, after you get baptized, for decades often, you are still on the earth? Is it just so you can enjoy your life? watch Netflix all the time. No, see, it's because God wants you to use the time that you have left over for a purpose that's bigger than your own comfort, your own entertainment, your own pleasure. He wants to give you a mission. And the mission is to introduce others to Jesus. The mission is to serve God with what you have. But see, you're like, oh, but I, I'm not a prophet, JB. Yeah, I, I know you're not. Like, I, I mean, like, it, it, the fact is this, is that Isaiah, you know, He's done. You know, the canon is closed. God doesn't need another Isaiah, but God wants you. He wants you to serve him with the shape that God has given to you. That's why I'm so excited that in this coming summer, we're gonna launch something brand new here at Thrive Church. It's called Thrive Disciple School Level 3, where you're gonna learn to discover and embrace your God-given shape to serve God because you were made to serve God. Would you turn to me and say, you were made to serve God. You were made to serve God. See, many of us, we, we, we get into this trap where it's a really silly trap where we think that because we've never heard a very miraculous divine call, thunderbolts and lightning saying, you were meant to serve me, that, that we've never seen that before, we never heard that before. We think they were kind of excused and we can kind of live like a, a more normal life where we just kind of go to church on Sundays. Maybe we'll from time to time we'll serve, but it's really just, we, and we settle for this very consumeristic, very self-centered, very warped, very perverted form of Christianity where it's all about me. It's about how God blesses me, how God protects me, how God's gonna lead the way for my career. And it's all about me and my happiness. And we almost flip it on its side to say, it's not me serving God, it's God serving me. And, and that's what we often think of when it comes to Christianity, whether we want to admit it or not. But the question is not, is God calling you? The fact is you are already called. The fact is you are already called. You are already called to serve God. The question is how will you serve him? The question is not, are you called? The question is how will you answer the call that's already on your life? That's why 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says to Christians everywhere, 
not just a few people, but every Christian on the planet. He's saying to them, you are a chosen people, a holy priesthood. Yes, you are a priest in God's kingdom. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Would you turn to him and say, I got a calling. I got a calling. And the way we describe that calling here at Thrive is with five letters that we call A-E-I-O-U. Yes, the vowels. A stands for alive. It means we're here to worship Jesus. E stands for expectant. It means we're here to grow into Christ-like disciples, become more like Jesus in our attitude, in our character, in our values. I stands for involved. It means we're here to serve God with our talents. O stands for out loud. It means we're here to lead others to Jesus. And U stands for united. It means we're here to love the spiritual family that he gave to us called the church. That is your A-E-I-O-U calling. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. That is who you are. A-E-I-O-U, that is your calling. And how you express your A-E-I-U calling will depend on the S-H-A-P-E, the shape that God has given to you. And God will often cater the assignments that he wants to give to you based on your shape. What was Isaiah's assignment? Well, look at, look at verse nine right now. We're gonna look at Isaiah's assignment. What was Isaiah's assignment? Look at verse nine. What does it say? He said, go and tell this people, the people of Judah, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. What? What? Like, can, did, did, you, did you read what I just read? What, what is God saying? He, he's saying, basically he's saying, Isaiah, you're going to be my prophet and you're gonna say a bunch of things and no one's gonna listen. You're gonna say a bunch of things and people's hearts are just gonna get harder. I want you to do that. I want you to speak messages that actually have the effect of actually turning people away from me. That's current generation of people in Judah. I want you to speak to them and as a result, they, they turn away from me. Are you kidding? Is this the same God that we're talking about? The same one that gave Jesus for us? Are you kidding me? What's going on? See, before I answer that question, Let's keep on reading verse 11. What does verse 11 say? It says, then I said, this is Isaiah. He's responding. He knows, he's like, oh my goodness, are you serious? He says, for how long, O Lord? And then God answers him, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land of Judah is utterly forsaken. See what's going on. You gotta understand this. In the history of Judah, we are now at the point beyond return. In other words, centuries before Isaiah even lived, during Moses' time, when Moses was leading people to the land of Judah, to the promised land, time and time again, God would warn the people of Judah, the people of Israel, his people. He would tell them in Deuteronomy 28, if you want to get into this amazing promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, you want to stay there, you want to thrive there, then guess what? You need to listen to me. You need to obey what I tell you to do, obey my commands, which are for your good, and you want to worship me. But if you start and insist on worshiping other things, and you, you don't listen to me, and you do your own thing, and you worship idols instead, guess what? You are going to be driven out of this land. 
and you will not be in this land anymore. That was God's warning to the people of Judah over and over and over and over again. And even those times when the people of Judah would go in another direction, start worshiping other gods, God, instead of sending them out and driving them out, he would show mercy. He would send a deliverer, a judge, a prophet to bring them back to God. And they would, for a time, they would come back to God, but then they'd go back again to rebellion and to sin and idolatry and to wickedness. And this cycle goes over, back and forth, back and forth. And, and what's happening is that God is saying enough is enough. See, God would not be a holy and just God if he continually turned a blind eye to evil and wickedness. He wouldn't be. He, that's not a just judge. That, he, that's not holy, but God is holy. And he finally is saying, you know what? Enough is enough. You're beyond the point of return. And so it is time now for me to be faithful to my word. And when I told you that you would not listen and you had to leave, that is the time for that to happen now. You need to go. And see, it's basically saying to the current generation of people in Judah, it's too late. I'm sorry. It's too late, baby. Oh, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. I warned you time and time again, you still didn't listen. It's too late. This is coming, whether you like it or not. And indeed, that time would come. Just about 100 years after Isaiah heard these words and wrote them down, in about 589 BC, the Babylonian Empire would invade Jerusalem. They would invade the land of Judah. They would capture the city of Jerusalem. They would drive out the people in Judah, out of the land of Judah, and into exile. And see, what's the lesson here? There's an important lesson that you need to take from this, which is that God cares about how we respond to him. God cares about how we respond to his love. God is not some pushover who will just keep letting his love be taken for granted. You know, he, he's, not this, you know, he's not this God who's, oh, I'll just keep on giving you all this protection, all this grace, all this, and I'll just keep on giving it to you, and I don't care how you treat me. No, God is not a pushover. If we keep pushing God away, one day God will adjust his position. He'll adjust his approach, and that's what God is doing with the people of Judah. Now, he's like, you won't listen to me? Fine, have it your way. And see, it just goes to show that we want to respond to God while we still can that while there's still an opportunity to do so, before it's too late, we want to respond to God while we still have enough softness in our heart to do so. And see, turn your neighbor and say, you got to respond to God. You got to respond to God. Respond while you still can before it's too late. Amazingly, even in sentencing the people of Judah to this punishment, which is basically you're going to go into exile. You're going to leave this land that you love and you're going to go into exile somewhere else. Even in giving out that punishment, God is still going to show grace and hold out hope for the people of Judah. Look at verse 13. The last part of this verse says, but as the terebinth and oak stumps cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. What does that mean? See, what God's saying is this. He's saying about current Judah, I'm going to take you from a big oak tree and I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to cut you down until there's nothing more of you than a stump. But out of that stump, something very special is going to come out. Out of that stump, something very powerful is going to grow up. And so you're going to go from an oak tree, I'm going to cut you down to a stump, and from that stump, something else is going to grow. What's going to grow? See, God was not done with Judah's story. Eventually, God would take that stump, he would leave a remnant of people to stay in the land of Judah. He would take Isaiah's messages that no one was listening to, and they will become the source of hope for future generations of people. 
where people back in the exile will be reading Isaiah and going, we still have hope. People who are living in the land of Judah who are left over there, like they're reading Isaiah and going, we still have hope. Even people, billions of people today, to this day, the guy who said, I'm gonna talk and no one's gonna listen, we listen to his words today. We study his words today. And see, God, he would eventually even take the people of Judah who were exiled to Babylon, and one day he would say, you're coming back to the land again. See, isn't that the grace of God? That most of all, though, is that out of this stump, out of this stump that is cut down to size, would rise up a Savior, a Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. And through Jesus' ministry, his teaching, his death on the cross, his resurrection, Jesus would make it possible, not just for people in Judah, but people all over the world to have access and relationship with the God who is holy, holy, holy. Oh, come on, give God a big hand, big shout in this place right now. Amen. See what's going on. After cutting Judah down to a stump, God grows something more powerful and special and far-reaching out of that stump. And in fact, we're, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, you know, giving you guys a bit more than uh, I need to today, but Isaiah 11.1 1 says this. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. See, out of the stump, something's going to grow. That branch, that branch, by the way, is a picture of that Messiah, that Savior. And one day we'll find out the guy is Jesus. Have you, let me just end with this. Have you ever felt cut down before? Have you ever felt like you were reduced to a stump where all you had was kind of whatever is left over? You know, about, about 20 years ago, uh, Charlene and I, we uh, had our plans for how our lives would go. We were dating in our early uh, 20s. Uh, so we're dating ourselves a bit, but you know, we're, we're dating. And uh, our plan was just to have this very comfortable life in Vancouver. Like, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna have a good job. We'll have good jobs. We'll have a nice family. Uh, we'll serve God at church. You know, we'll do those things. And it was, it was just comfortable, you know. And uh, then that was our plan. That was, you know, our big oak tree, the dreams and plans we had, right? Even before we got married. Um, and then two months before we're about to get married, uh, I, I'm told uh, at the company that I love, at the job that I love, that I'm being let go. And uh, it was a job that I worked really hard at, a job that I worked, uh, you know, that, that, I, that I really cared about. But, uh, and I didn't really quite understand at the time. I think I understand more now, but I didn't understand at the time that why this was happening. And what was happening was when that job was taken away, it felt like a chainsaw cutting through the tree that is me and my plans and my dreams. It's like, timber! And it's like all that was left was a stump. And funny enough, in all that pain, there was also even more peace. And we went into marriage, neither one of us, Shar and I, not having a job. We have a mortgage to pay. And we have no, I had no idea really what we're going to do. But we decided to see our problem as an opportunity. God's peace was very much there. So we decided to move to Taiwan, where Charlene's parents live got to spend time with them finally after so many years of Shar being away from them. We started new jobs, new careers in Taiwan. Shar went into advertising. I was in the, the law field still and uh, got to learn the language. We got connected with a great church. 
had a bit of an Isaiah 6 moment myself where I just sensed that God was calling me to, uh, and to, 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 to be a pastor. The law firm that I had been working for for many years by that point, they wanted to make me a partner in the firm. But Shar and I knew that God was calling us to something different. And uh, you know, around that same time, our, our church in Taiwan was saying, uh, we want to send you back to Vancouver to plant a new church. And uh, you know, our church in Taiwan commissioned us to plant this new church. And that's how Thrive Church began. That's how we're here to this day. And we're not just a Chinese, Taiwanese church who happens to speak English, but we are a church now of many nations, a church that is multicolored, multicultural, multi-ethnic, because that's what we believe the kingdom of God is. And I don't know where we would be if God had not done the chainsaw thing of cutting us down to a stump. It's because he had a greater plan for your life and my life as well. If you believe that, say amen. And see, what did God do? After cutting us down to nothing more than a stump, God grew something different and better and more powerful and more far-reaching than anything we could have planned ourselves. And if you feel cut down and reduced to a stump today, maybe in your workplace, maybe when it comes to your future, maybe you feel cut down by the hurtful words that someone spoke, or you're cut down by disappointment in your circumstances, you're cut down by the current difficult season of life that you're in, or you're cut down by the loss of someone you love, or, the, or, or you lost something else that's very dear to you. If you've cut down to a stump that way, and you feel like that's where you're at, can I remind you of something? God is not done with your story. Remember that God is not done with your story. You know, a lesson from Isaiah 6 that you want to take home is that even when you feel cut down, as long as you have Jesus, you have hope for tomorrow, you have hope for eternity. That's the hope we have in Jesus. Isaiah 6 isn't just a telescope into the holiness of God, but in Isaiah 6, we also see God's mercy. We see God's sovereignty, the fact that he's in control. We see God's hope and his compassion. And it's because that's the kind of God that we worship. Let me just end today by just really quickly recapping. What did we learn today? What did we learn? Number one, we learned that God is holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And because he is so holy, there's a few things that we need to keep in mind as we live day to day. And it helps us to have hope. Because God is holy, we want to worship him as holy. We don't want to take him for granted. Try not to use the word holy with anything else because only God and his people now are holy. You know, because God is holy, remember that God is just, and because he's just, he will right every wrong, every senseless killing, every injustice, he will redeem and do something with it for good one day. Because God is holy, see every good thing that you have in life, not as something that you deserve or that you're entitled to, but it's because of God's undeserved kindness and mercy on our lives. Because God and only God is holy. Realize that only God can cancel out our sins. You, we can't do that on our own. That's why God sent Jesus Christ for us. And because God and only God is holy, then remember to be humble before God and to be humble before people. Respond to God while you still can. Another thing we learned today is that like Isaiah, you are called to serve God. Not necessarily in the way that Isaiah served, but with the shape that God has given to you. You're not just a child of God. You're not a spectator or just a consumer in God's kingdom, but you're a priest in God's house. You were made to serve him and to introduce others to him. Finally, the lesson we learned today from Isaiah 6, if you feel cut down and reduced to a stump, remember that God is not done with your story. 
as long as you have Jesus, you always have hope. And it's with that in mind that I want to leave you right now in a prayer that you can pray to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. If you're here at church today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, then my question for you is this, is what are you relying on at the end of your life to be with God and to get into heaven? If it's anything but Jesus, then you're up for a huge surprise because only God is holy and we can't get to him on our own. We would simply burn up trying. But if you've got Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the grave, you've got a shield from the wrath of God and you've got forgiveness for your sins. And in an amazing way, you've got a shield in Jesus that enables you to draw near to God, to feel the warmth of his presence, to experience more of him and have a relationship with this amazing holy God. And if you want to be forgiven your sins today, it's as simple as praying a prayer to God today from your heart. It doesn't matter so much the words you speak as the attitude that you speak it with, but we're going to show you a prayer that you can pray. What you can do is you can scan the QR code that's on your screen, or you can click the link that is on your chat room right now. And if you click that, scan that, it'll take you to a prayer that you can pray. And just so that you're not doing this on your own, I'm going to pray this prayer with you. And I just encourage you to pray this from your heart. You can even look at it before you pray it. But this, if this reflects your heart and you want to ask Jesus for his forgiveness today, you want that live call called Jesus to touch your lips in your life today, then I'm encourage you today to pray this prayer with me right now. Don't hesitate. Don't worry about your neighbor. It's not between you and them. It's between you and God. So why don't you just do this right now? Why don't you pray this prayer? Say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart. Please forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that from your heart, then the Bible says, amazingly, you are forgiven of your sins. You're a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a priest in God's house. And the best is yet to come. A huge congratulations to you if you prayed that prayer. In fact, we've got a special gift to give to you to encourage you in this new relationship with God. You can click the link at the bottom of the prayer to get to that. In addition, I want to encourage you to keep on coming to church because we can't grow on our own. We need each other. We need a family. Every baby needs a family. I encourage you to keep coming to Thrive Church. Keep on growing together with us. Come to meet the pastors. We'd love to meet you there. Even more, you can also consider getting baptized. Baptism is not for those who've been Christians for many, 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 many years. It's for those who just received Jesus. And so if that's you and you receive Jesus Christ in your life and and you want to uh, declare that, and I'm going to encourage you today to, to even sign up for baptism today. And for more information on baptism, for all of that, you can uh, go to mythought.info and click the button baptism uh, to uh, learn more about you can, making the, the, the awesome step of getting baptized. Finally, I want to pray for those of you who I know God is speaking to this message today in different ways. For some of you, you know, it's about seeing God as holy. Maybe you've taken that for granted. Maybe you've kind of seen God as just your buddy, your friend, and he is. He is those things, but he's holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And we want to treat him with that kind of respect and reverence. Maybe you're here and you feel cut down to a stump 
God is not done with your story. So whatever it may be, whatever situation you may be in, I encourage you to respond to God right now. Would you lift up your hands to God? Let the height of your hands reflect how much you need him. Let the height of your hands reflect you giving God the worship that he deserves. The Bible says, I want people to lift holy hands to him. Your hands are not clean because you were made them clean. That's not because you put hand sanitizer on them. It's not because you washed them. It's because God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. And because of that, you can lift holy hands to God. Will you lift up holy hands to God right now? We lift up holy hands to God right now. Lift your hands to God. And would you just start praying in your own words to God right now? Just respond to the message you've heard today. Respond to his word that you've heard today. Start talking to God. Thank God that he is holy and yet merciful at the same time. Thank God for sending Jesus Christ for you. Thank God that every good thing that we have in life is not because we deserved it. It's because of God's mercy and undeserved kindness in our lives. Thank God that he's not done with your story. Thank God that the best is yet to come. Thank God that you are saved, not just to be saved from sin, but you're saved to serve God in his kingdom. Would you start thanking God with an attitude to gratitude. Don't wait for me to stop talking. Just start talking to God right now. Don't worry about your neighbor. It doesn't concern them. Just move into the presence of God right now. Let's just approach the sun right now in the cover of Jesus right now. Would you start talking to God? Step into your identity as a priest in God's kingdom. Just start talking to God today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We lift up holy hands to you. We worship you. We thank you, God. Holy, 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 our Lord God Almighty. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. We worship you today. Say there's no one like you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We worship you. We worship you, God. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Praise your name. That's a church. Worship him. Worship him as holy. Worship him as holy. Worship him as holy. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. We thank you. The one who's in control. The one who is high and exalted. The one whose glory fills our entire world. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you, God. Father, we want to thank you so much that you took us, you took me, you took these people with unclean lips, unclean hands, unclean hearts, and you gave us Jesus in return. You gave us Jesus to touch our lives so that we could be clean and holy and forgiven in your sight. We thank you so much for saving us, not just from our sin, but for your mission, so that we can be representatives for you and introduce others to you and serve you because it's all about you. It's not about us. We thank you today for the calling you have on every single person's life to be not just a child of God, not just to be forgiven of their sins, but to be a priest in your kingdom, to serve you. And so we just say thank you so much. And we say we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to move in our lives and believe the best is yet to come. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Oh, come on. There's more you need that. Give God all of your praise in this place right now. Amen. Right now, we're going to do something very special. We're going to give God worship through song. Just as the seraphs sang, we're going to sing to God right now. And as we sing, I encourage you to give your best to God. And we're going to, right now, as you're singing, you can also give your faithful tithes, your generous offerings. Let's worship God, not just with our songs and our music, but with our finances as well. Knowing that when we seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds everything we need. And not only does he add everything we need, but he builds his house and his church and his kingdom through us. And so let's give God our very best. The band's gonna play. Let's sing. And I'm gonna end off by praying one last prayer for you that you don't wanna miss. We'll see you guys really soon. Let's give God our very best right now.
Can we give God a big hand, a big shout? Let's play together right now. I say, can we give God a big hand, a big shout? Let's play right now. You guys are an amazing church. So glad to have this time with you today. Hope you learned something. Hope you were encouraged. And we can't wait to meet you guys. Those of you who are new to Thrive Church, sign up for Meet the Pastors happening right after this service, just in a few minutes. And uh, for those who want to get baptized, sign up for Baptism Weekend happening just next week. We can't wait to see you. Let me just end with praying one last prayer for all of you before we close today. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for being our holy, holy, holy God. And we thank you so much that because you are just, holy, sovereign, and good, that you are not finished with the story you're writing with every person's life that's watching right now that you've called them to a life of giving you glory with the shape that you've given to them. And so we thank you for them today. We pray all of your blessing, your peace, your promise, your protection, your presence, your healing, your comfort, your strength, your wisdom, and your Holy Spirit to fill every single person until we next meet again. We thank you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That brings our service to the close, but the worship continues. Let's keep on worshiping God in all that we do. Have an amazing start to your week. God is with you. God loves you, and it's all about Him. We'll see you guys next week for episode three of Waiting for Sunrise. Love you guys. See you, everybody. Thank you, Pastor Jamie, for that empowering message today. Once again, if this is your first time visiting us, connect with us by texting me to 604-255-770 or visit MyThrive.info and you'll receive a Thrive stainless steel water bottle from us. It's a way for us to show that we appreciate you and spending your time tuning into Thrive Church Online. We want you to feel welcome and what's a better way than meeting the pastors here at Thrive? Join us for Meet the Pastors on Zoom today at 10.45 a.m. and 12.45 p.m. It is a perfect opportunity to meet new friends, ask questions including baptism, and to learn more about Thrive Church. Head to MyThrive.info now and click Meet the Pastors on Zoom and it'll lead you directly to the meeting. You may have prayed the prayer earlier today to receive Jesus and I want to let you know that's one of the best decisions you've made. Share with us the great news by texting BELIEVE to 604-255-770 or visit MyThrive.info and click I want to receive Jesus today. We want to help you build your relationship with God and so we've prepared a gift and great biblical content for you to enjoy while answering some of your questions about Christianity. For those who are wondering what the next step is after you receive Jesus, it's baptism. Baptism at Thrive is happening on April 24th to 25th. And with COVID-19, getting baptized is going to look a little bit different, but we're committed in helping you having an awesome baptism experience while keeping everyone safe. If you'd like to get baptized or find out more about baptism, head to MyThrive.info and click baptism. As we dove into the question, about keeping hope alive today. My biggest takeaway was that as long as you have Jesus, you will always have hope. I encourage you to invite all of your friends and family in joining us for episode three of our Waiting for Sunrise series. It's going to be very inspiring and insightful as we continue going through the book of Isaiah. While we wait for the next episode of our series, we'd like to stay connected with you throughout the week. So check out and join our Facebook group at Thrive Church Online Community. Thrive Church Online Community is an online community for us to bond and strengthen our relationships with each other. Now, what would it look like for you to take a step even deeper into your relationships with Thrive? 
we have so many people investing and partnering with the mission of Thrive with what God is doing here, and I want to invite you into that as well. If you enjoy the content today, I encourage you to invest into what God is installing here at Thrive by heading to mythrive.info and click online giving. Thank you to those who have already generously invested into Thrive's ministries. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. I hope you all have a lovely Sunday morning. Enjoy the rest of the week and I'll see you all next week right here at Thrive Church Online. Bye.